I know. I, I'm on. There we go. I'm, I'm on. The sound system's having problems. There we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I threw him under the bus. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. My name is Tim, and we're glad that you could be here with us, and hope you had some pancakes and sausage. It was very good. And uh, I, again, I hope that today, uh, you know, it's Sunday, uh, all, or, all over the place, everybody's talking about the, the, an empty tomb. And I just hope that today, Easter Sunday, will will change you, will have an impact on you as we think about probably the most exciting morning that you can imagine uh, in history, because he is risen. Uh, there's a uh, there's a bulletin uh, you have if you've got one, and, and on the back there's some stuff about church camp coming up. There's a there right now at the Welcome Center there is a, uh, some stuff about primary week ages or uh, grades three through fifth. If your child is going into the third grade or is in the fifth grade, even if they're going into the sixth, they're welcome to come and be a part of this week. I'm directing this down at Little Prairie Bible Camp. And there is a pamphlet and an application for a camper uh, on our welcome desk. And if you'd like to know more about it, make your way to that welcome center after church and you can uh, pick up some of that information. It's also I was also noticing there's another application I don't want you to get confused with for being a camp counselor for Teen Week, and it's also in the Welcome Center. So if you sign your kid up for a counselor and they're in the third grade for Teen Week, that's going to be a little challenging for them, okay? You may want to reconsider that. But that's that's at the Welcome Center as well. I want to thank, uh, just really just thank uh, the people that were in, uh, taking care of the pancake and sausage breakfast this morning. Great job. Great job. Thank you. A lot of fun. It was kind of cool. You know, again, today is Easter Sunday, and uh, we're, uh, we're looking at every, every year. Uh, I try to think, what, what is something in, that we can talk about? Last year we talked about an empty tomb, and we looked at how something empty can fill our lives. And today I want us to look at a story that I've never talked about, I've never preached about, I find fascinating. And I think, why is it in, why is it in the Easter story? It's found in the book of Luke, and if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Luke 24. And we're going to look at this, this story that doesn't seem to fit with Easter. But then again, maybe it does, all right? None of the other Gospels really talk about it. Oh, there may be a mention of it, one verse in the book of Mark. But not a detailed story like this. It's about two guys on the road to Emmaus. And so what I'd like to do is, if, you, if you've got a Bible with you, we can turn there. Let's, if you, let's read this together and... Um, Let's be encouraged this morning. This is happening on Easter morning. In verse 13, it picks up. Now that same day, that same day, Easter morning, it says, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them that they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, said, asked him, Are you the only, only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here, here or there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and, and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the woman had just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, "How foolish you are, and how slow in heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them." what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village, which where they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared. Just when they figured out who it was, he disappeared. That's funny. He disappeared right in front of them. It says here, uh, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. They, there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told of what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he, when he broke bread with them. Interesting story. Why is this story here? I, I mean, think about it. Here it is. It's been what a crazy week for the disciples. Here they've been following Christ for three years one year, intense training, intense training going on. And he's told them what's going to happen. And, you know, hard, it's hard for them to get it sometimes. But, you know, finally they're on board and Jesus is crucified. If you watch The Passion, the movie The Passion, it's, it's awful what they do to Jesus. They beat him. You know, they, they mock him. They spit on him. Then they hang him on a cross. And he's dead. They don't even have to break his bones and his any bones, because he's already dead. Take him off the cross, put him in a tomb. They shut it. Guards are there. The disciples can't even go visit the tomb. They're scared to death. Where's the disciples? Well, one by one, they've either been running or denying. One, only one, John, is at the cross the entire time with Jesus' mom. That's it. Where are these guys gone? They're everywhere. Then we find out they're in a room somewhere, and they've locked the door, because they're thinking they're next. Easter isn't very exciting for these guys. What do you think? You think they're thinking, oh boy, let's have an Easter egg hunt. No, they're not thinking about that. It's pretty intense. Maybe you're going, huh, huh, me too. And then there's these two fellas. They're walking to, on a road out of Jerusalem on Easter morning to a place called Emmaus. Why? Luke, why in the world would you put a story like this? is kind of a downer story. This is kind of a sad story in a way. I mean, everybody should be shouting, Hallelujah, he's risen, and you know, right? And it's exciting. I mean, churches centuries from now are going to be talking about this, and Tim's going to be talking about it. Give him something exciting to talk about. I will. This is really good. It's kind of sad. 
Why is it in here? I think it's in here for this reason. Because not everybody's excited on Easter morning. Not everybody's happy with Easter. In fact, the Easter story tells us there was discouragement Easter Sunday. And maybe this morning, we come to church every Easter, you know, or we come to church on Sundays, and we hear about this incredible story about He is risen, and it just doesn't, you know, like the disciples, it doesn't live up to the hype that it's supposed to for us personally. And we find it, well, that may be good, that's exciting, and it gives power. Yeah, you say that, but Tim, I've got to be honest with you, I'm kind of disappointed with Easter. It's not working out for me, this power of the resurrection. And if you're discouraged this morning, you know, you've, Easter week has been pretty tough. Maybe the last year, you look at the last year, it's been a tough year. And here you come on Easter Sunday wanting to hear something positive and something good. If you're, if you're in that boat in that particular camp, you're on, a, on this road to Emmaus. You're kind of just walking along out of a place where there's an empty tomb. You're walking away from Easter. I got some good news for you this morning. The road that goes to Emmaus also leads to Jerusalem. And if you're discouraged this morning, God wants to somehow encourage you this morning. If you feel hopeless this morning, God wants to give you some hope this morning. That Easter's about that. It's about you getting back to Easter. Getting back to what it's really about for you today. Now, what I notice about these guys as we read this passage, I notice all kinds of things that kind of pop up out of the passage. And I notice that when you're discouraged, it seems that it shows itself in several ways. I notice there's five ways it shows itself uh, here in this chapter. For example, uh, I notice five signs of discouragement out of this chapter. And these guys show us this. And one of them is, is, this, is this, this, this desire to escape or to be isolated. That one of the signs of discouragement is, I just want to get away. You remember the Southwest commercial? The guy's having a bad moment. Want to get away? Right? Yeah. You ever had, you felt like that? When you're discouraged, that's the tendency. And, you know, guys, as we look at these, by the way, as we look at these things, I notice that we have one guy has, these two men, one has a name and one is not. And I wonder if Luke has done it on purpose to leave one anonymous. And perhaps maybe this morning you ought to just put your name there. I'm doing that. Cleopas and Tim on the road to Emmaus. Put your name there, okay? Think about that for a minute. Because when you're discouraged, don't you ever want to just get away from it all? When you're discouraged, don't you want to isolate? I mean, these, these two guys, there's two guys. He's with somebody. Yeah, but have you noticed when you're discouraged, you tend to gravitate to discouraged people? Huh? Or when you're negative about something? How is it at negative people and discouraged people able to find one another? They, I have nobody. And somebody goes, I know how you feel. You do? Let's walk together. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, wah, 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 wah. I never thought about that. Well, how's that go again? Wah, wah, yeah, wah, 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 wah. And it's back, you know. And, they're, and they're, they're, the disciples are in Jerusalem. The apostles are in Jerusalem. You know, I believe, the, the, by the way, these two guys followed Jesus with the disciples. 
They're part of that 120 we read about. You know, Jesus in, in Luke 10, verse 1, talks about 72. He sends out 72. Yes, he had the 12, but he had other disciples. And some people think that maybe one of these guys might be Matthias. I, I wonder sometimes one of them could be Thomas, because when they get there, Thomas, you know, he had been missing, and maybe Thomas was that guy. I don't know who it is, but this, this unnamed guy. But these two guys find one another, and they're heading to Emmaus. You know what, the, you know what the, by the way, the name Emmaus means? Hot springs. Did you know that? It means warm springs or hot springs. They're going to a resort. Let's just get away. I need a vacation. Man, what a crazy week. I was so excited. What do you want to do? I don't know. I just want to get lost in something. I don't know. What's your road to Emmaus? Because the road to Emmaus is how we cope with discouragement. And it might be, you know, you go on a trip or you go to Target or someplace and spend a bunch. Maybe that's what you do. You know, you go to a restaurant and you chow down. You know, I'm going to China Walk. I'm going to go, you know, Golden Corral. And I'm going to camp out at the chocolate bar. In fact, I'm just going to unplug it and bring it to my table. Are you going to be isolated? Probably not. <laughs> Can I have some? But that's what we do. Look at this verse. I'm sorry, this, there's a ver- is there a verse? Yeah. That same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're leaving Jerusalem. And that's what we tend to do. Here's another, here's another sign of discouragement. That is, it, it shows up in my body language. My body language just says it. You know, look, at, look, at, look at this verse here. It says, they stood still, their face downcast. You know, Jesus walks up with them. He sneaks up and walks with them. Hey, guys, what's going on? Haven't you heard? And so they stop. The face is, huh? Where you been? They stop. You know, it's, it's, people can tell. You might think you can hide it. I think, you know, I've said this before. I've inherited this face. Sometimes I hate this face. I know you don't like it, but I hate it. Because it tells on me all the time. And your face tells on you, too. You come to stuff. You okay? We're looking at a picture. Well, you look like you've been through the ringer, Tim. What's going on? What? I think I'm hiding it really well. And we try to hide our discouragement, don't we? But our body gives it away. Look how David says it in Psalms 38. He says, even the light has gone out of my eyes. If people can tell, you're not at home. They can tell something's wrong. Something's up. Maybe you're hanging your head. Maybe you've got that loser's limp. That's what my dad used to call it. Loser's limp. You know, whatever it be. Everybody knows you're discouraged. Jesus sees it. They're walking. By the way, you know, when they go back to Jerusalem, they're running. They're walking. They're stuffing along. And, man, you make it obvious. And when you're discouraged, your body will give it away. Here's another thing that I noticed also, and that is frustration and sarcasm seem to accompany people who are discouraged. They get frustrated. They start snapping at people. And they get a little sarcastic. Have you ever noticed that when you're discouraged? Look at this. They, they, they say, hey, Jesus, uh, or Jesus says, hey, well, so what's going on? Basically, they say, who are you? Where have you been? I mean, are you the only one that's in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going been happening lately? Wake up! Hello! Now, remember Back to the Future? McFly! <laughs> have you ever had that happen? Where you're so discouraged and somebody says, what's going on? What's going on? And you snap at them and you're sarcastic. 
You're frustrated. And it shows up in these guys. I mean, that's how they're talking. They, they're venting. They're venting to God. And by the way, these guys aren't the only guys that's ever done that. Remember Gideon? He's threshing wheat in a hole. It's covered. Now, if you've grown up on a farm, you know what threshing wheat's about. You're, you're throwing the grain in the air, and the chaff, the wind takes the chaff away, and the grain falls. That's how you separate it, so you've so you got nothing but wheat. It's really nice. It works really good, but it creates dust. And during the time of Gideon, the Midianites were, well, they were bullying up and beating up on the Israelites. They were kind of like pirates, food pirates. So when you'd see that cloud of dust, they knew somebody had some food, so they'd jump over there and rob the guy. Well... A lot of people got smart. We'll dig a big hole. We'll put a cover over it. And we'll thresh it this way and nobody can see it. The problem is, dust is everywhere. <laughs> put a rug over your... Or put a, a handkerchief in your... I used to do this when I was a kid uh, in, on the farm. We'd be in the grain bin trying to just move corn. And the dust would be everywhere. So you can see, it's in his eyes. He's, and then the God... Oh, appears and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And what's Gideon say? Well, the Lord, look what he says. He says I, don't, I don't think I got the passage. It's, 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 do we have it? No, not yet. It says this. It says, If the Lord is with us, then why in the world is this happening to me? Sarcasm? Frustration? Absolutely. Even David... Read the Psalms. I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't put, I couldn't give you all the Psalms. It would, they're almost all over the place. Lord, how long are you going to sit there and do nothing? That's what the liberal translation would paraphrase it into. The most conservative would say, how long are you going to sit there? Or how long, Lord, how long? Or why is this happening to me? Or when are you going to do something? Sarcasm. That's what these guys are feeling. They're very discouraged on Easter Sunday. The fourth one, let's go ahead and show that one now, Pat, yeah. The fourth one is simply that what we do is we tend to also have spiritual blindness. We just can't see. Did you catch this verse? This, I, I tell you, I looked at this verse I was blue in the face this week. And here's what it says here in this verse, in verses 15 through 16. As they traveled, it says, and discussed these things with each other. Jesus, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but were kept from recognizing him. Hmm. You look at that. I mean, did Jesus have a mask on? You know, was he like this? Hey guys, how's it going? Wait a minute. I gotta hide. I gotta hide the nail print too. Hey guys, how's it going? I mean, is that what he's doing? Well, they, hey, God must have kept them from recognizing them. I'm not sure that's what that means. It just says they couldn't recognize. Something was keeping them from recognizing him, and I believe it was discouragement. Guys, how many times have you been so discouraged you can't see something good that's happening? Been there, I don't know how many times. That I'm so sad and so bothered with something that I, I'm so wrapped up in what's happening to me that I can't see a blessing right next to me. Awful quiet. But you know it's true, isn't it? You know, we have our pity party and we just don't see that's what these guys are doing. They don't, Jesus is walking right with them. You know, apparently, we know he's supposed to have risen today. Well, maybe they didn't see him because they didn't look at him. You know, they, they were too busy with their heads hung down. 
That's true. That could be. But when you're discouraged, it's so hard to recognize the good things that are, that are around us. It's hard to recognize God. In 2007, in a metro station in Washington, D.C., a young man pulls out his violin and begins to play. He plays for about 45 minutes. A little over a thousand people walk by him, and you can see this footage at the Washington Post. They have this posted where you can see what he's doing. This man is playing six different intricate uh, uh, songs of Johann Sebastian Bach. And people, and I watched this video, it's about six minutes long, and they're walking by, and a couple of them walk up and put some money. He made $32 in 45 minutes. Now, what's crazy about it is, just a week earlier, he had sold out a theater in Boston for $100 a ticket. And Josh Bell would play his $3.5 million violin in a metro station, and no one knew he, who he was. Why? There's, how, have you ever done that? Ever? We're caught up in ourselves. We're caught up in, maybe it's we're caught up in work. Maybe your road to Emmaus is, I'm walking down this road, and I don't recognize Jesus, and this road for me is my work. This road for me is my things. This road is for me is a person. This road for me is a problem. They don't even see Jesus, and he's standing there right next to them. You might think, they're so dense, so dumb. They're just discouraged. And just like them, we do it all the time, don't we? Another thing I notice is this, is that, is that they're skeptical. Their discouragement makes them skeptical, and this sense of hopelessness is there. Not only can they not see the love of God, and I think it's important for us to understand, guys, this morning, you may not recognize the love of God, the power of God, the strength of God, the will of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God when you're discouraged, but it's there. It's there for you. And, and the thing is, you may not see it, and if you did, you might be skeptical because of discouragement. And that's what's happened to these guys. Look at this passage. It's a lengthy one. Verses 19 through 24, it says, they, they, he, they're asked, so what's going on? Don't you know? It's about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And notice it says, he was a prophet, a powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the other rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now look at this verse. Look at this point. But we had hoped past tense. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. What are they saying? He should be alive. It's the third, third day. In addition, he goes, wait, here's some more information. In addition to that, some are saying that they've seen him. Why, some women had a vision of angels, but they really didn't see him. I don't know if you see the skepticism in this passage. Don't you know about Jesus? He's a prophet. Oh, no. Guys, he's not a prophet. More than a prophet, isn't he? He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. But these guys are going, well, he was a prophet. 
See how skeptical they are? They're disappointed. God has disappointed them in some way. And they're beginning to second guess what was Jesus really about. They say, hey, some, uh, some women saw a vision of angels. Actually, they saw angels. But these guys are like, I don't know if they really saw them. Maybe it was a vision. And you think about it, they have all this information. They got all kinds of information. But they also have all kinds of doubts because of their discouragement. We had hoped, they say, we had hoped that he was the guy that was going to redeem Israel. They're hopeless. Easter's not exciting for these two guys. And they've talked themselves out of being excited about it. And they're on the road to Emmaus. They're just trying to get away. Get it out of their mind. Oh, well. You ever felt like that? You feel like that way, that way this morning? I want you to know, a lot of people do. A lot of Christians do. These are disciples. It's not unusual to feel this way. Has God ever disappointed you? God, this is not what I planned. This is not what I thought was going to happen. I, I got this instead of what I wanted. This is too hard. I thought it'd be easier. You know, it's not easy being a Christian. And so you find yourself second-guessing. Did that really happen? Was there really a resurrection? 2,000 years later, we're asking that. Disciples are asking that, and guys, they were asking that the same day it happened. So you're in good company this morning. There's nothing wrong with you. I'm just saying that's my opinion. There's really nothing wrong with you. We all go through that when we feel that God has disappointed us. But the good news is this. The good news for me this morning that I, I find in this passage is that the road that leads to escape also leads to something wonderful and glorious. This road that I could take, and I choose, you and I choose, which direction? It's the same road. Will I go this way or this way with Easter? Because here's what's interesting that happens. After Jesus explains himself, after he talks about to these guys, he's, he, uh, they, he finally reveals, finally they see him, their eyes are open and they see him. And notice it says here in, in, in verses 24, 30, 33 through 35, it says this, They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven. And they say, hey, listen, it's true. He did appear to Simon. And the two of them told what had happened on the way. They said, hey, listen, this really happened. A two-hour trip, a two-hour trip becomes a, a seven miles, all of a sudden becomes a quick run back to where they belong. God helped them turn it around. And this morning, if you're discouraged, if you're in despair, if you're confused, if you're going, I don't know what to do, Tim. I just want to get away from it all. God said, oh, no, you don't want to get away from me. Come back to me. Turn around. Help me get you back, back to Easter. Back to me. 
What made these guys turn around? That's what I want to end with today. What made these guys do an about face and go back to Jerusalem? They learned three things. Three things on their road to Emmaus. The first one is, God is with me. If there's anything that God wants you to know this morning, even if you're not aware of it, God is with you. You're discouraged. Oh, I bet he's unhappy with me. I'll tell you what he is. He's with you. He's with you. He doesn't leave you alone or with another negative person. He shows up. I mean, Jesus shows up. Can you believe that? That's what it says there in verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and and walked along with them. These guys are confused. These guys have doubts. They're pessimistic. They feel hopeless. And who shows up? An angel? Oh, no, 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 no. Another apostle? No, 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 no. Jesus cuts out the middleman and shows up himself. He said, I'm coming here myself. And I want you to know this morning, Jesus wants to be, he's with you. He is with you this morning, whether you believe it or not, whether you think he's there or not, whether you can see him or not. He walks along beside you. Why? Why would Jesus do something like that? Well, the Bible says this. It says in Psalms 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those whose spirits are crushed. You don't have to be aware of it. God doesn't, God doesn't require that you see Him for Him to be close to you. Doesn't it say somewhere, when two or more are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them? And even if you're with another cranky Christian, He shows up. Even if you're with another, oh, my healer, poor thing, Jesus is like, hey, What's going on? I think he wants to change that dialogue. I, I get that impression here. You know, can we turn that around a little bit, guys? You're getting a little too negative. It's a pretty positive day. But he's with you. And he knows. Listen to me this morning. I, I do not know who's supposed to hear this this morning. Honest to God, I do not know who's supposed to hear it, but somebody here is supposed to hear this. He knows right now your spirit is crushed. I don't know who it is. You know, you ever, you ever done to play this game, if the preacher looks at me, that means it must be me? I played the same thing. I thought, I wonder if that really happens. And guess what? Now I do it, it don't mean anything. It's not a sign. So if I'm looking at you, who am I supposed to be looking at? Over here? I mean, but, but think about it. He knows. I don't. And maybe nobody else does. But he knows. Your spirit is crushed right now. He knows you're sad. He knows you're discouraged. He knows you're about to leave, about to quit, about to just forget it all. And that's why he's there, because he is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those whose spirits are crushed. Is your spirit crushed this morning? Please, please, please realize God is with you. Of all people, He's with you this morning. He wants to be with you. He wants you to know. He wants you to know, like David, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
you are with me. He wants you to experience that. He's not with you to watch you and get you if you're out of line. No, He's there because He doesn't want anything bad to happen to you. Not, not some, he doesn't want anything to happen to you that would destroy you. I just started thinking about this. What if some Roman soldiers showed up? You ever seen those movies where the guys are walking and it's like a, a World War II one, you know, and they're sneaking in and there's three guys and the Germans are marching and one of the Germans goes, Aktun, Aktun, and get the guns, you know, and they just come on down, you know. I wonder what would have happened. Here's these three guys walking along, Jesus, you know, I don't know if anybody else would recognize him. Okay, maybe they did. Here comes the Roman soldier. Wait a minute, hold it there. There he is. Oh, hey, whoa! You know, you think Jesus would have went, <coughs> melted him? We're going to beat these two guys up. You think Jesus would have allowed that? You think Jesus Christ, who just got out of the, out of the, out of the tomb, and two of his disciples are getting ready to go through the ring, and he just said, oh yeah, go ahead. Let me get out of your way so you can hang better. No. I think he'd have knocked them down. Why? Because when you're crushed, he doesn't want anything to destroy you, and he's there to protect you. Now, you might do some stupid stuff. I know I do. He's right there with me going, I wouldn't do that. And we do something stupid and get hurt, but he will not let me or let you be destroyed. He wants to be with you that much. I believe He's wanting you to know whatever you're going through right now, you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. If there's anything I've learned the last few years, especially last year, when God is with you, you're going to be okay. Number two, there's something else they learned that we can learn from the road to Emmaus, and that is, God's Word is good. What do you mean by that, Tim? You mean His Bible? I'm saying when God says something, He's good for it. When He makes a promise, He's good for it. Now, I, I can't say that all the time. You ever? I've said to people, I give you my Word, and I'm going to do my best to keep it, but even there's even times I'm, I've given my Word only to fail. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Not what I've said, but what you said. Yeah. But when God gives His Word, it's good. It's solid. You know, Jesus, I don't know what to think about this. Here's two guys, they're kind of sad. And, and, it's, and here's Jesus come out of the grave. You'd think it'd be, you know, Easter Bunny feelings. Hallelujah! The Lord is risen! Praise God! You know what I'm saying? Amen. You know, and here's these two guys. Oh, well, you know, we thought he was the guy. And he doesn't seem to be. And here's the third day, and I'm just going to go soak in the tub. I can't know what else to do. And what's Jesus do? Oh, you guys, buck up, campers. You can do it. You can make it. I'm so and he goes, this is what he says. Look what he says to him. He says, you're foolish. He says, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What's he saying? These guys are down. And Jesus kind of roughs them up and goes, you're stupid. You're stupid. What are you doing? What are you doing stupid? What a fool. 
You, you must not, you're not being very quick on your feet here. You're, you're just so slow. You're dumb here. What's the problem with you? Don't you know what the Bible says? And it says he starts telling them. He says, don't you remember? I told, don't you remember it was said to you that it was going to be bad before it was good? Wake up. And he says, from beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them what was said. In, and notice all the scriptures concerning himself. And, I, you know, I'm so encouraged about this passage because it's a two-hour walk to Emmaus. So Jesus had a two-hour sermon on Easter. Hallelujah. Huh? <laughs> what an excuse I've got now. Well, Jesus preached two hours. Can't you handle it? The eggs are melting in the grass right now, Tim. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. All that chocolate, you know. But you see what I'm saying? He starts, that's a two-hour walk. I don't know when he joined them. I don't believe he joined them ten minutes before they got to Emmaus. Because he, he shows them everything in the Bible from Genesis. What was he showing them in Genesis? The very first messianic prophecy in Genesis 3. There'll be a day, Eve, when one of your kids is going to crush this snake that made a fool of you and going to crush his head. And all he's going to be able to do is kind of just barely flick his heel. That's all he's going to be able to do to him. And, and all the prophets, all the Psalms, Isaiah, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, the Messianic book of the Old Testament, okay? There's 330 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the coming of the Christ. And Jesus is going through 330 of these prophecies. So today I'd like to start with number one, and we'll go through. No, I wouldn't do that to you. But can you imagine that? Can you imagine that for a minute? 333 prophecies he's going through, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. Remember what Micah said? Remember what Isaiah said? And don't forget Moses. Why, he said a whole bunch about this guy. Why is Jesus bringing up all this stuff? Because God's Word is good. You can bank on it. How many times have you found yourself discouraged and you open up your Bible and somehow things kind of change? That's what happens to me. Guys, I went through some, probably the lowest moments of ministry and life in the last five years. And if it weren't for my daily Bible... There'll be days I go, Lord, I've been beat up so much. I've been misquoted. I've been lied about. People don't understand me. I've done awful things. I've said awful things. I've messed up in so many people. I, I don't know what else. I, I, you know what, Lord? And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Shh. Open the Bible. <laughs> oh, my. Really? Really? And I would text my thoughts, and I still do, to 150 of you. And people aren't even here. They're in other states. When's that text coming, Tim? Why is Jesus doing this? Because there's something uplifting and something encouraging about when God says something, you can count on it. You know, how's the sermon today? I don't care. To be honest, I don't care. All I care is looking at this passage that you'll go, what God says is this. Wow. Tim, just get through the points. I'm getting what God's saying to me this morning. That's all that matters to me this morning. But guys, the Scriptures are so helpful. 
And he's Jesus saying, you know, take a closer look. Guys, wake up. Look close. Where are you going? Why are you going to hot springs? Back here's where the good stuff is. It's, it's happening and you're over here. And by the way, isn't it awesome that you can drift away from the Lord and he'll go find you? Isn't he like that shepherd that goes and finds that one? And here he is going after two to try to get him to get back. He wants you back. He wants you to turn around and go back to Jerusalem. See, my Bible, your Bible, is our spiritual GPS. And it gets, it's like recalculating when I read it. Recalculating. I feel this way, recalculating. I don't know what to do, recalculating. I'm going to do something stupid. Recalculating! Okay, I think I get it. Look what David says here in Psalms 119. Your promises have been thoroughly tested. That is why I love them so much. What does he mean by that? That he's tested them? It could mean that. Or could he be saying, I know other people that have tested them. And your promise is good. And that's why I love them. That's why I will put them to the test. Because I know they'll, they'll pass the test. Look what it says here. After, after Jesus reveals himself, look what it says here. It says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. That word burning, he's, what he's saying is, uh, the literal is, didn't your hearts just warm up? He's saying, did, you, did your blood pressure kind of, did you start getting excited when you listened to the scriptures about this? And the guy goes, yeah, yeah. That's what those scriptures can do. David says, I lie in the dust. Is he discouraged? Completely discouraged, he says. Revive me by your word. He says, man, your word is what gives me that second wind, that gets my edge back, that encourages me, that gets my head from going like this to going like this to going like this. I want to encourage you, church. I want to encourage you. If you've not been in your Bibles... You know, get back into looking at the Word of God. Let the Word of God encourage you. You know, I'm thinking to myself, why is He opening up these Scriptures and what? why are they getting excited? And this is the thing I think is so cool. The reason they're getting excited is because as He, as Jesus is sharing, they don't even know it's Jesus. They're just hearing Scripture now. Read about Moses and the prophets and you read about the Psalms and all the Scriptures are concerning Him. They see that this story is huge. It's big. And they're a part of the story. You're a part of the story. That God just didn't do this so we could have something to do on Sunday. No, it's... So you can experience. And you can... You're a, he wants to you have you in this story too. And that's why those guys hate hightail it back to Jerusalem. They realize, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to be out of this story. I want to get back in here. This is worth, this is purpose, this is plan, this is a plan. And this is worth running to. Third thing, and I'm going to be done. That I find interesting here is that my relationship with God matters. There's something I want you to see is that your relationship with God matters here. In fact, I want you to see that your relationship with God is really determined by you. Did you catch that as we were reading the passage and Jesus was getting ready to go a little farther? 
was he doing that? Yeah, it's about dark. Did you know that? It's about dark now. And these guys start this walk in the afternoon. So they, here they are walking, and Jesus walks along, and, and then he goes, well, guys, I guess this is your stopping point. I'll see you later. Whoa, 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 where are you going? Now, a lot of people have fun with this. They say, what is Jesus doing here? I'll tell you what I notice he's doing. He's not forcing himself on anybody. And he will never force himself on you. You hear me? Jesus is not going to barge in and force himself and make you do anything. That's up to you what you want him to do. In fact, I believe God is doing just exactly what you're wanting him, wanting and allowing him to do in your life. Notice that they at that verse he says it says so they said stay with us. They invited him. And what's he do? Okay. And he sits down, and they start eating, and he breaks the bread, gives thanks, and hands them the bread, and they go, maybe they saw the, the nail mark. I don't know. They saw something. They went, hey, hey, wait a minute. You're a G. Where'd you go? <laughs> Did you see him? I saw him. I saw him. I saw him. Are you sure? Yes, he was there. Oh, my, he is alive. But he sure can come and go any way he wants. That's amazing. And it's funny, I, I noticed that Jesus seemed to reveal himself a lot during meals. You know that? The Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, you know, he has. What's he reveal? You call me master. I want you to know I'm a servant. He comes with a towel. You know, he reveals that he loves everybody. He washes Peter's feet and Judas's feet just like he would John's feet, and no one would know the difference. He reveals his character. He reveals himself. This is, he says, I want you to be like this to others. Uh, one, uh, there's a resurrection story where they're all in a boat, and they see somebody, and he goes, hey, guys, come over here. I've got some breakfast for you. And someone goes, it's the Lord. And he jumps out of the boat, and, uh, and there he is. He's got a meal, and they're eating together. And he says, they all knew who he was, but no one said a word. Is it him? I think so. How do you know? When you're eating together, you get a good look at people. Oh, Jesus. I mean, uh, sir, could I have some more? And he reveals himself over and over again. Remember when he comes into the room after this episode? He comes into the room now and goes, oh, we don't think it's you. He goes, give me something to eat. I don't know what that proves. But he eats something. I go, okay, he must be alive. He's eaten. But Jesus used food. Does that make any sense? He used a meal. Don't you find it interesting? I just find this fascinating that on Easter Sunday morning, the very first Sunday, he's eating a meal with disciples. If that doesn't say we ought to have the Lord's Supper, I don't know what does. That why why he wants to commune with us. And why? So we can see him. We can see as we're reaching and we're all reaching for something, we can visualize the disciples seeing that nail print. I'm thinking of the cross. 
But also think of a tomb. It's empty. He's alive. And that gives me reassurance. And we're to, we're to do this to proclaim his, it says, his death until the Lord comes. That's why we're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to end our service taking the Lord's Supper. Because I believe that if we take the Lord's Supper, my prayer is that your eyes will be opened and you will see Jesus. You say, you mean like literally? That would freak me out, Tim. It'd freak me out too. I don't know if I would suggest that as much as that you would get an idea of the love of God and see the power of God, see the forgiveness of God as you break bread. And hopefully because of that, you will do like these fellows did here in the road of Emmaus. You will, you will run back to the tomb. You will run back to other disciples. You will run back to Jerusalem. You know, th- thought about this, guys? It's, it's, it's at night. These guys are running back at night. It's a dangerous place. They don't care. They're so excited. They're not thinking about the, the pity. They're not thinking about the discouragement. They think about, I have a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And you know, whether you see Him or not, whether you realize God is with you, I want you to know He's with you this morning. His promises are good. And as we take the Lord's Supper, may you have the words here in First Peter, where Peter says, who saw Jesus in First Peter 1, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. May Easter help you understand that. We're going to sing a song and take the Lord's Supper. And, and I want you to know your, your communication card just gives you an opportunity to even fill out your communication card as you're waiting to take the Lord's Supper. And, and guys, I just said, take this opportunity. What's a, what's a communication card about? Make a decision today. What are you going to do? Which direction are you going to go? Emmaus or Jerusalem? Which way are you going to be today? If you're discouraged, will you let, let the Holy Spirit encourage you today? Let us pray for you. Write something. Maybe there's a decision you want to make. Study the Bible. Know more about our church. Or maybe it's simply, I, you know what? I need prayers. I want to, this week, I want to make it back to Jerusalem. I want to make it back to God. You know He'll take you back. In a heartbeat, He'll take you back. Let's pray, and then we'll do this. And by the way, after that second song, we'll take up those cards and our collection, and our service will be over.